Hi, my name is Ryan McDonough, and you are listening to the Solar Panel, a Phoenix Sun show. And we are here. I feel like it has been a couple of weeks since we have actually gone live here on the Sun Solar Panel, but it has not. We just skipped our Wednesday episode. So thank you so much to everybody who is listening to the podcast or if you are joining in on YouTube right now with us today, finally back in all of his round mound glory, Mr. Greg Esposito. The star of the show is here. We can actually have some fun now. Yeah, apparently Tim has has erased him and I's pod last Saturday since he <laughs> says it's been two weeks since we've been on air. Thanks, Tim. Uh, you know, I just I just forgot. Well, what I meant is, you know, we missed the Wednesday episode. Uh, and as the voice or the face that you just saw talking, Mr. Dave King, managing editor at Bright Side of the Sun. Yeah, how's it going, everybody? I'm back here for my hundred thousandth week in a row. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh yeah, you never you never miss anything. Never miss any. No. But, Except the most of the Wednesday ones and and some of the Saturday ones. No. <laughs> By the way, Tim, the 1950s housewife that you mugged for those glasses would like them back, all right? Hey, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I wear a different pair of glasses on every single episode. We sometimes notice. Uh, I miss the Carol <laughs> Channing ones. Uh. Uh, I did just get another three pairs too. They're coming in the mail. Listen, so these sons are they? So they're not prescription? Of course, they're prescription. You just <laughs> have like a million pairs of prescription glasses. Yeah, man. Okay, so when Tim asks you to to donate to the show, it's so he <laughs> it's can buy glasses. glasses. Yeah. <laughs> he has uh, a, he has a room that is just glasses. Everybody. Yeah, yeah. Some people are about um, about sneakers. Tim just puts all of his glasses on display on the different in the closet. Actually, uh, and shout out to uh, I am Brody over on the uh, YouTube chat. Thanks, homie. Uh, so the Suns have filled out their third string power forward position. We talked about it on the last couple of episodes. James Jones was clearly going after um, that position. He made that clear. Dave had laid out on Bright Side of the Sun an article uh, mentioning a couple mm -hmm. different guys that the Suns could get. And none of those were the ones that the Suns got. So um, they ended no, up. No, I actually included Shek Diallo in there. What are you talking about? Did you? Yes. Oh, yeah. well, shout out to you, Dave. After yeah, the, thanks. After, you were trying to throw me under the bus. After the fact, you went back and edited it. No, no. No. <laughs> no. People actually gave me credit for predicting it. I said Shek Diallo would be great as a pickup. Yep. Hey, so, I'm I'm just glad you only focused on the vets, but um, I had a whole section on young guys. Remember, I was comparing Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender, two guys on the on the on the open market and race balding to Shek Diallo. Uh, Shek Diallo. So the Suns have signed him to a two-year deal. Anybody that's unfamiliar with his game, so he spent three years on the Pelicans. He never really cracked the rotation, rotation in a meaningful way. Played about 15 minutes a game last season. Uh, it is per 36s, which I don't really like to use, but we are talking about a player that's averaged about 12 minutes a game, so I think it's important. Really impressive. You're talking about 15 points a game, 13 rebounds, 1.3 blocks, 1.2 steals. Um, 62% uh, effective field goal percentage last season, which was actually the best of his career. Um, a really good rebounder, 30% defensive rebounding rate, uh, right around a 10% offensive rebounding rate. Uh, where he takes his shots, 
uh, around the rim. I mean, uh, you're talking 50% of his shots come from around the rim. 80% of his shots come within 10 feet of the basket. Uh, and around the rim, he's shooting 75%. He's much more of a defensive-minded player with a positive defensive box plus minus. And in my opinion, he is the polar opposite of Frank Kaminsky, meaning that he can't really shoot from the perimeter. I think he took one three last season, no threes the two seasons prior to that. But he's an athletic guy that can defend. That kind of reminds me a little bit of Jeremy Grant. In that kind of a position, when you're looking at a third string power forward and just trying to round out the roster, it's the kind of spot that you take a chance on a guy like this and and hope that you can develop him into something that Monty Williams can uh, can can help turn him into something that potentially you know next year could or the year after could have a larger impact uh, on your team where where the Suns made mistakes in the past is this is the kind of guy that would have been playing major minutes in the last few years. And now he's a guy that'll, that'll get spot duty, but you'll be able to try to bring along uh, through practice and other things. So uh, I, I am perfectly fine with this signing. I know uh, over at uh, AZ central, they're probably a little disappointed because they didn't get to break the curse of Amari Stoudemire apparently, which was the weirdest article I think I've read all summer, but uh, I think this is this is the kind of move that, that that you make to round out that roster, and I'm perfectly fine with it. I I hope Shake turns into uh, into something for this team, and it's the kind of project that I, I love to see what Monty Williams can do when he gets his hands on. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's he is the athletic guy you wanted to have. He's got a little bit more uh, muscle to him than Ray Spalding. But he otherwise profiles very similar to Ray. In my article uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually a week and a half ago, just over a week ago, when the Suns were looking for a power forward, I actually compared Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris, Sheck Diallo, and Ray Spalding together. And just over the course of their three-year careers, uh, Sheck's been in the league just as long as Chris and Bender. He has been more productive, though he's played a lot less minutes. Yet Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris, we know, were gifted minutes uh, and barely played this past year until it was full tank time. Dragon Bender came out of the closet uh, in the spring and played a lot more minutes. But uh, Sheck's been more productive on a minute-to-minute basis than either of the Suns' top eight picks from 2016. And he is the only one of these four with a contract. Hey, Dragon Bender has a contract in in russia all right just- okay uh, okay so let's i mean as long as you guys want to talk about dragon bender for a minute yes uh, he's agreed to a verbal contract and while it is russia they are the euro league champions hey yeah he, he's still waiting for an nba team to say please come play with us and no nba teams have done that although it's a it does appear that cleveland's at least thinking about bender the cleveland is the team that marquise chris ended up with and now marquise chris is still a free agent waiting for a contract as well. Uh, Ray Spalding, um, we'll, we'll get back to him. I was hoping he'd come back with the Suns, but I don't think it's happening based on other signings they made in the past week. But I'll let Tim uh, tell us when to talk about that. Rush, Russia and Cleveland are your two options. I'm not sure. They both they both sound miserable uh, most of the basketball <laughs> season. Suns Life Hack. Don't play Monday morning quarterback on Suns Reddit. Now back to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. 
So I do want to go ahead and thank a new listener who has decided to support the Sun's solar panel podcast, which if you are watching on the YouTube or if you are listening uh, to the podcast version of this, it's in the show notes below. You just hit the support the show button. Uh, thank you so much to Daniel Babb, who has uh, kindly donated uh, $1 a month. And it really does go a long way. As we talked about earlier on the episode, uh, I have a glasses um addiction that's a little bit expensive that i need to pay for and so we need you guys to come through on this also i really do want a new mic and after vegas uh i'm so poor that i legitimately had to cancel my netflix subscription i i believe it's called a fetish tim i think that's the way that they refer to what you have for glasses uh so sh- shout out to uh daniel we really do appreciate you man oh and by the way if you uh if you mock tim for asking for money on the show you're gonna get blocked on twitter just uh just so you know yeah. dude the gift of blocking also everybody that was talking uh shit about that let me just say that patreon has been a thing for a very long time and that virtually every big podcast does it we just don't do patreon because no one has a patreon account except for other podcasters well and the way i explained it last week we have fewer of those recorded ads in the middle of our podcast because we can get support in other ways i know you asshole then i had to make sure not to put one in no, we can have no no you can have one we can have one but then we don't have them every 10 minutes uh so uh, last week on the show we kind of talked about breaking down some more advanced uh stats over the course of the off season right Yes. Yes. Okay. So, I don't know. I wasn't here, but sure, we did. <laughs> right. Um, you watch part of it, Greg. Greg has conveniently um, uh, erased every memory of con uh, of us talking about advanced stats on the show, and he just goes, "Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Sure." And then he moves along. So Tim and I are going to be the the main contributors to this section of the pod right so this week we are going to break down box plus minus uh which is essentially like we were talking about earlier on the show your plus minus on an individual game just over 100 possessions and over an entire season right uh so basically uh like i said it reflects uh, 100 positions and how the team did um compared to the other team in terms of of scoring while a certain player was on the court so If a player had a plus five box plus minus over the course of the season, that means per 100 possessions, when that player was on the court, his team outscored the opponents by five points. All right. Uh, All time best plus minus LeBron James, 9.3, Michael Jordan, 8.09, and Charles Barkley, 7.44. So I did a little bit of digging about about box plus minus. It's a combination of scoring and box score stats. That's why the box is in there. So they, um, uh, sorry, it's a combination of team score and team difference in in performance. And then um, uh, also factoring in their own contributions as reflected in the box score. And they're very open about the fact that defensively the numbers are limited. If you're a player that gets a lot of steals, but otherwise gets blown by all the, uh, a lot for drives to the rim, you're going to rate higher than somebody who plays good positional defense but doesn't get any blocks or steals. Um, but you're going to rate higher on defense because you got those things, even if you may not have been that great. Marquise Chris used to rate uh, better than some of his teammates on defense because he would get blocks and steals, even though we all knew he was not a good defender, for example. So there's, you have to take these things in context. Uh, and yes, the, the overall, like, like Tim said, the overall 
best players in history have been around eight, eight to 13. Uh, LeBron James's best seasons ever were in the, in the plus 13 in that category. And that just meant that that's how much he factored into his team uh, while he was on the court. And then that value above replacement player, Vorp, the one that's right next to it on basketball reference is the one that is stretched over the entire uh, um, team season so that uh, actually LeBron James, if he had the plus 13, for example, in a year, and he only played 73% of his team's minutes versus another player who has the same box plus minus, but played 80% of their team's minutes, that other player would have a higher value above replacement player. We're only touching on that, but they are very related to each other. Um, Back to box plus minus, it really is box score based. So offensively, it's fairly really good and defensively it's a crapshoot but how let me ask this and obviously i'm the ignorant one when it comes to this and pretty much everything but uh but what with this how does somebody on a team like the suns the last few years uh, like it doesn't the fact that you're on a bad team impact your individual plus minus even if you're a good player like it's yeah yes yes to an extent yes Right. So, so if, if the team, if the team is not outscoring anybody, it's really hard uh, to have a positive box plus minus. So if you're a shithole team, like uh, let's say uh, the Phoenix Suns, uh, it's, it's going to make it pretty difficult. Right. So 0.0 is league average plus five means a player is five points better than the at an average player over hundred possessions. That's about all NBA level, right? Negative two is replacement level player and negative five is really bad so so how if if you're looking at this and i'm guessing uh, that this is something that you have to look at not as a a defining factor but part of a larger picture because uh, i'm guessing and i obviously did absolutely no research for this but uh that the, the box plus minus for most of the Suns over the last four years were pretty bad, yet we believe that Devin Booker's a pretty good player or DeAndre Ayton's a pretty good player from last year. So so, so let's let's talk about what happened last year and see mm-hmm. if if our thoughts on the players match up with their box plus minus. All right. So the the three best players for box plus minus for the Phoenix Suns last season, you had Rashawn Holmes that led the team with 1.4. Devin Booker was 0.8. And Aiton was 0.2. That's not including some of the guys that played like three games. Like I just, you know, I took them out, right? So we could probably arguably arguably say those were about the three most impactful players uh, to an extent with Rashawn Holmes um, on the court last season, right? Uh, The the players that were around replacement level box plus minus last season for the Suns were Bridges, Ariza, Warren, Tyler Johnson, and Kelly Oubre. All right. Now, the players that were bad last season for the Suns were Melton, Bender, Daniels, Josh Jackson, Chandler, and Jamal Crawford. And now the players that were horrendous, I'm talking a negative 10 box plus minus for the Suns last season, Juwan Evans, George King, Jimmer Fredette, and I did include Eric Moreland in his one five-minute stint. Yeah, the the players with uh, who played uh, real minutes uh, – uh, are what you, who you mentioned just prior to that. Cause those last four didn't play a whole lot, but man, I mean, anybody could, uh, any, the, anyone who read these names out and, and, and I said, do you think they had a positive or negative impact? 
you would say they had a very negative impact. The players with significant minutes, as, as Tim was mentioning, who have the worst box plus minus, Ryan Anderson, Jamal Crawford, Elia Kobo, and Isaiah Kanan. And the one with the one who is an outlier is Josh Jackson with a minus five box plus minus. But the sad thing about Josh Jackson's is that he played 2000 minutes and the rest of those guys uh, put together barely exceeded that. So I, th- I think the Suns got better in the offseason simply by removing their worst box plus minus people. Hold on. But based on this, the Suns just paid $15 million a year to somebody that's a was at replacement level last year on the box plus minus yes oh we all know kelly kelly uber you're talking about kelly uber right yes yeah yeah so with kelly uber his his thing is so yes kelly uber is not statistically the best player he is a pretty good player and it's what they paid 15 million dollars a year for is his potential to improve his positive impact in the locker room all the off-court things, and like I said earlier, box plus minus does not take into account um, how many shots you deflect and, or or, or um, how many drives to the basket you deter by your positioning and your rotation and all that. Tim Duncan was never an, a great defensive box plus minus guy except for his his blocks, um, but he, wasn't, he didn't rate as highly as he should have, whereas a Ben Wallace, who had a lot of rebounds, a lot of blocks, and a lot of steals – and he did win Defensive Player of the Year a few times. He's the one who rates higher than Tim Duncan career-wise. But I would rather have prime Tim Duncan. Well, see, this is my this is my problem with it, though. I everybody watched Kelly Oubre on the court, right? Uh, we all know the impact that he had, uh, and yet this stat, this advanced metric, is saying that he was somebody that should have been replaced based on on his impact on the floor. You look at it, uh, DeAndre Ayton is barely an average NBA player, and Devin Booker's pretty much in in the same boat, and it's trying to tell me Rashawn Holmes was was the most impactful guy uh, on the team. And I get it. You can argue the the impact when he came uh, on the court, but this is why it seems so flawed to me. And obviously I'm coming from – uh, you know, I, 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 I jokingly, you know, crap on advanced metrics, but I get it because I use a lot of analytics in my day job. And, uh, but to me, it, it just seems very flawed in the way, in the way that this looks, it seems like a very surface level way to look at, at the way somebody impacts a game. Now it's, it's probably slightly better than just looking at the box score in general, but to me, it, it's, it's tough that or we are such homers that we have bought into a, a lot of these guys and they are just average. NBA well, let me do, let me just really quick. I pulled up um, a just about 500 team Sacramento Kings. Cause you mentioned earlier, Greg, that the, these stats are being dragged down by how bad the Suns were. And that's true. Not to the extreme extent you might think, but it is true. Um, the Sacramento Kings were 39 and 43 last year. Their range of box plus minuses is very similar to the Suns, actually, not that dissimilar. Um, they only have five players who are, are above zero on, on their uh, box plus minus list. Those happen to be high minutes players. Um, Willie Colley-Stein, Nemanja, Bielitsa, Buddy Heald, and De'Aaron Fox. Uh, and um, Corey Brewer, actually, in his limited time with the, with the team toward the end of the year. 
all had positive box plus minuses for an almost 500 team, but the rest of their guys were kind of bad, um, below zero. So a box plus minus tries to regress back to the mean. Most NBA players are going to be right around zero. So um, replacement player is kind of a high bar to set. And then if you look at Denver, Denver was the number one seed or number two seed in the West, and uh, they were number one for a lot of the year. They only had five players with a positive box plus minus as well. Uh, an above zero net box plus minus. There's were Nikola Jokic, who rivals actually his is at 9.5 and rivals most of the some of the better uh, seasons in history. Mason Plumley, Paul Millsap, Monty Morris, and Jamal Murray. Everybody else in there was a negative. So the box plus minus really does level everything out and takes out a lot of extremes. Uh, so that's why you see any team has very few positive box plus minus guys. Well, looking at this, I mean, if if I'm going back to the last episode that, that Tim and I did talking about grades, like if I'm a national person who doesn't watch this team much and I just glance over these, I'm, I'm starting to understand why people might argue, well, Devin Booker is just a good stats on a bad team kind of thing if you're looking at at an advanced metric like this because and not actually doing the eye test this is where i i think you need to mm-hmm. you need to have both because you're going to make uh, you're going to make an assumption that uh that is is somewhat incorrect if you're just basing it on on glancing at this or or the eye test either because you know so well, I would say too with advanced stats, and we're going to go over uh, a lot of them. But you, it, it's not, there's not just one that that really yeah. says the value of a player. But, but the truth of but the truth of what Greg was saying is, you are dragged down by your team. It is a box score based. All these are tracking stats based. Uh, very few of them are like th- there are some really really nice advanced stats that you have to pay for um, that that measure things like screen assists and and stuff like that that doesn't go in normal box scores or even advanced box scores on a day-to-day basis and those actually are um, more interesting to me because they actually factor in like um, a player's positioning and things like that but and so with the Suns for example Devin Booker is only barely you know he's almost a 2 because he's so good on offense, and yet his his lack of defensive numbers across the board is what holds him back, specifically steals for Devin Booker. Okay, so LeBron James, his first season in the league, uh, 03-04 on that horrendous Cleveland team, his box plus minus was 1.9. But in 04-05, his box plus minus was an 8.3. Right. So yeah, so it does, and and a lot of that was his team won a ton more games. Um, you're going to see a lot more correlation on uh, an advanced metric to team wins when you think when we get to wins above replacement player and and things like that. Um, or sorry, not wins. That's not even a stat, is it? Uh, win shares. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, in, in baseball, uh, shares is a big one, uh, and that is shares of your team wins. <laughs> Uh, which surprisingly DeAndre Ayton just dominated last year. So uh, Seth Rogers in the YouTube chat, he said that the, uh, the, the issue with box plus minus is that it doesn't take into account good looks. Well, oh, I if, know, that, right? 
if that were the case, the Suns would have like everybody but Frank Kaminsky would be in double digits. Frank's going to have to get a mask to fit listen, Speaking of Frank Kaminsky, and I, I think this is really interesting. So I want to read you guys some stats, some career stats of Frank Kaminsky and Kelly Oubre. They both came into the league 2016. Uh, they've both been in the league for the same amount of time. All right. <clears throat> so they both averaged... Frank Kaminsky, 22.2 minutes per game. Kelly Oubre, 22.1. Field goal. Nope, nope. This is just per game averages over the career. Field goal attempts. Frank Kaminsky, 8.3. Kelly Oubre, 7.8. Field goal percentage. Frank Kaminsky, 42%. Kelly Oubre, 42 uh, and about a half percent. Frank Kaminsky from three, 35%. Kelly Oubre from three, 32%. Two-point percentage. Frank Kaminsky, 46%. Kelly Oubre, 50%. All right, not done, not done. Offensive rebounds, 0.7 per game for both of them. Defensive rebounds, 3.2 for Frank, 3.0 for Kelly. Uh, total rebounds, four for Frank, 3.7 for Kelly. Assists, 1.6 for Frank, 0.8 for Kelly. Steals, 0.5 for Frank, 0.8 for Kelly. Blocks, 0.4 for both. Turnovers, 0.9 for both. Points per game over the career, Frank Kaminsky, 9.8, and Kelly Oubre, 9.4. They have oddly comparable career statistics somebody cue the spider-man meme it looks like they're staring at each other dude it's weird well and then i, I literally want to see them uh, those two standing there doing a spider-man meme with each other without <laughs> costumes uh, you know, awesome. honestly uh it, you know you just paid a tax for good looks like we talked about kelly Hubre getting 15 million frank getting five this year so i, but, I actually but, think Com frank kaminsky is the dumb ugly forward friend on this team the duff right every every good looking uh group is one so you so you've yeah. got the duff uh, there but but yeah it is crazy how close their stats are and it makes you wonder can we see a, a similar breakout year from from frank with with this group uh, if he buys it no, but 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 this is this is this goes to Greg's argument of what's wrong with these advanced stats. Well, those Frank, aren't even advanced stats; those are just basic box score stats. Right. So if you look at it, Frank Kaminsky has a better career box plus minus than Kelly Oubre over the. But but then you watch the players and you can see what other non box score things Kelly Oubre can bring to a team that Frank Kaminsky just does not. So it does not explain the entire player just by looking at stats. Uh, okay. Frank Kaminsky has a better offensive win shares, better defensive or same defensive win shares, better overall win shares. Uh, mm -hmm. He's also a positive warp, whereas Kelly Oubre is a, a negative warp. Uh, but okay. to Dave's point, you watch him on the court and Kelly Oubre had a clear impact with the Suns last season. I didn't watch enough of Frank Kaminsky, but I, I'd be willing to say he probably didn't have much of an impact. Well, can you can you give me a, an idea here of the box plus minus for Frank Kaminsky last year compared to Kelly Oubre's because I get it uh, career-wise overall when you're looking at it they have very similar stats but we all know that Kelly Oubre didn't didn't fully reach what what he's getting paid 15 million for until last year and really his time with the Suns so so I get that that, that in in a glance you go oh wow these stats are very similar but but in in a vacuum of last year that that really is what you're you're basing what somebody gets paid off of and what their next job is is going to be the what have you done for me lately how how close are they there so the one year actually frank is better than kelly 
Really? On box plus minus, yeah. See, that's interesting to me. Now, I, you know, when I to to Tim's point, I so last year imagine- alone, last year alone, Frank Kaminsky and I know Tim wanted to jump in, but this time I'm going to. Last year alone, Frank Kaminsky had a higher on the advanced stats. PER, which is player efficiency rating, which is based on stuff in the box score, a higher true shooting percentage, a higher three-point attempt rate, a higher free throw rate, um, a better rebound percent, as we would guess, a better assist percent, which we would not guess. Uh, And um, let's see, his usage was just slightly lower than Kelly Oubre in the minutes he's on the court. But he had, uh, and he had fewer win shares because he only played about a third of the minutes that Kelly Oubre did. And win shares is your own personal impact based on your minutes. So you're not going to have as many if you don't play as many minutes. Uh, But he had a better box plus minus and he had a better value over replacement player, which um, um, uh, translates the BPM into an overall uh, stat. Okay. Well, let me ask this. Does that mean that uh, as Suns fans, we just fell in love with the player that because he, wants to be here in Kelly Oubre. No, this is where I test comes in. This is where I test comes in. Kelly Oubre has more of an impact on the game, especially when he's playing with the Suns. Uh, He had more of an impact on the game than Frank Kaminsky will because of things that are not tracked in the box score. And I'm not saying Kelly Oubre is a savant on every play. I'm not saying he's focused on every play, but he has the ability to make a big difference and in winning ways that Frank Kaminsky just doesn't, unless he's making a bunch of threes. But, but, I, and I'm not saying specifically just is Frank Kaminsky better than Kelly Oubre. I'm just asking in general, did we, did, did we, the, the general we, Suns fans and even somewhat Suns front office, fall in love with Kelly Oubre because we trusted the eye test too much when the advanced stats and the stats overall don't really sit there to support well, it. Well, Kelly Oubre in his last uh, 15 games with the Suns, uh, he averaged 20 points a game, uh, two steals, two assists, almost six rebounds, almost a block per game, game score 14.7. So that's one thing that is not really taking into account here, which is you know, sort of the same thing that so D'Angelo Russell had a great second half of last year, and that's essentially what caused his uh, max contract. Kelly Oubre, to that same extent, had a great second half of the season. And so, you know, that's part of what you're looking at, not just the three-year uh, uh, career average of the player. No, I, I get it. I just it, it just, it just made me wonder, because obviously I'm not, somebody that's staring deep into these advanced metrics uh, on a regular basis. But uh, I now understand a little bit more why, why national guys, like I said, if they're just looking at, at advanced mm-hmm. metrics as, as their main barometer would be skeptical of, uh, of some of, some of the signings. Like, do you have, okay. I know I'm extending this way too long and asking far too many questions about this, but where, where did Ricky Rubio, where's Ricky Rubio ranked in box plus minus career wise or last year? Because again, this is another guy that, uh, and I know we're basing it on one small advanced metric, but I'm guessing this is another guy where that number is going to say uh, not a $17 million a year kind of player, uh, which is which is where we're getting to, uh, some of some of this blowback as well. 
Ricky Rubio over the course of his career is a positive 1.2. Last year, he was 0.0, which again would put him at league average. The year before, he was a, a 1.7. The year before that, a 0.8. The year before that, a 1.9. Okay. So so most of those years, he would have been the best player on the Suns last year. But I, I okay. I get I yep. get it, though, now. I mean, right. I, you know, the, the sniff test in, with the top-level advanced metrics just say, there's a bunch of maybe average guys on this team that you added, maybe slightly below average based on based on career career numbers. So, so those Fs. Well, we also said, and well, you also said though, and I completely agree with you that Ricky Rubio is between a top twelve and a top fifteen point guard in the league. So, him being somewhat above average in terms of box plus minus as well as the amount of money he's getting paid puts him actually more on the on the lower end of uh starting caliber point guards is about right no yeah well and honestly like like we've talked about the suns paid a tax to get some of these guys because they were so bad ricky rubio asked for more money because you had to convince him you were serious about wanting to win in phoenix uh where he could have gone elsewhere for for probably less and more what people think his actual value is, but you had to pay a tax to, to get a guy like that. You overpaid Kelly Oubre slightly. You, you acknowledge these things. So, so again, if you're looking at it in a vacuum based on, based on advanced metrics, the Suns had a crappy off season. If hey. you're looking at it in totality, they didn't. Greg, I don't think we actually had a chance to ask you because I think that it was just Dave and I on uh, the last episode, the the Ubre contract. Did that? Did you have a chance to give your your feelings on on that two years? You know, thirty million combined. I, I didn't. I actually think it was a a brilliant move by both sides. They both compromised. The Suns probably gave him a little bit more than they wanted in terms of money, uh, but they get two years, and and Kelly Ubre probably took. Uh, fewer years, but got closer to the money that he wanted. And that's the kind of situation that I think was best for both. The Suns now going to sit there and take two years to really figure out, is Kelly Oubre uh, the guy that you think he is? And do you want to invest big money in long term? Uh, you know, so uh, you know, that that's that's good and then and then Kelly Oubre gets to take take that money bet on himself a bit and get back into unrestricted or get into unrestricted free agency and and maximize his earning potential if he plays the way that he's supposed to so I think that that's very uh, a very very good move uh, for the Suns you know it's a very very good move for you guys Head over to sunshirts.com. Check out some of the great tees that we've uh, designed. Uh, there will be, I heard rumors, a new Frank and Baines uh, t-shirt. <sighs> I need that one. I have to buy that one. I, I need it. And I feel like we now need a Duff shirt with uh, Frank Kaminsky on it. So there'll be some new, uh, <laughs> new designs coming up on sunshirts.com. If you guys have some ideas, you know what? Whatever it takes to get you to spend a few shekels over there and wear some cool merch, uh, head over sunshirts.com. We know there are roughly 40 Suns podcasts to choose from. Thank you for listening to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. 
Okay, so we were prepping for the show and we wanted to talk a bit about uh, James Jones' comments on team building, uh, given some of the grades that like Greg talked about and some of the, the reaction around the league about whether or not he did a, a pretty good job. Dave on Bright Side of the Sun wrote an excellent article where he summed up a lot of the comments and I think a lot of them were really interesting. Dave, take it away. All right, yes. So I... I put them, I collected them from two different places. Uh, one was from the uh, press conference introducing Kelly Oubre, and then another source was ArizonaSports.com when they, uh, when uh, 98.7 FM interviewed James Jones later that day about the team building, he went on the um, on one of the afternoon shows and talked about what he did over the summer with changing over the roster. So those are the two sources for these quotes, but I consolidated them into a single Brightside post that was published on Wednesday. Uh, um, well, I thought his comments were very interesting. They were not unexpected. Like we've been talking about since the Suns have made these trades, they weren't out to win the transaction game. They were out to have a better overall roster at the end of draft and free agency. And James Jones did say things like that. He said, we set out in the summer to change the team in a positive way with some additions. With those additions came some subtractions. We added the, the positions of need for us, point guard and power forward. We added positional depth and we kept our core guys intact. And so those guys, of course, followed up on, well, yeah, the subtractions, let's talk about the subtractions a little bit. The most notable being Josh Jackson and TJ Warren who were basically given away in separate transactions to create the space. And so James responded with, our goal was to get a good player, a point guard. He, uh, it was to preserve financial flexibility for the next few years. It was to increase the maturity of our team. If you look at that, Josh is a great talent, but he's a young guy. If you look at TJ, TJ is at a different place in his career. And at the small forward position, we have a lot of depth, which is true. We, we went into the offseason saying you can't go into next season with Kelly Oubre, Mikel Bridges, TJ Warren, and Josh Jackson all wanting minutes at small forward. And if when we all said, who do we want to keep? We said Mikel Bridges and Kelly Oubre, which is exactly what the Suns did. And then James went further into that. He said, we have Mikel, we have Kelly, we have Cam, who he drafted, Cam Johnson, as a shooter. He's like almost the exact opposite of Josh Jackson. And whether or not Warren, TJ, would be able to play and provide punch that we need for him to feel appreciated and to excel versus the opportunity of growth for the rest of our guys, it was a decision we had to make. So in other words, he's saying he didn't want TJ Warren to get starter level minutes or even top reserve level minutes. And he knew TJ wouldn't be happy about that. So this is uh, when you, when you couple that with the future money, it just became a decision we needed to make in the best interest of the team. So what, what James Jones actually did is he created a more functional playable roster for this coming season and a ton of flexibility in money. And I know the free agent market is not good next summer, but you've got a lot of financial opportunity to give to another team that wants to move on from, a, from an expensive player. So the Suns really have a great opportunity at the trade deadline because they have almost over $36 million in expiring contracts to give financial relief to a team that needs to retool. So yeah, well, that team's not going to want the roster or the cap space, you say, but the, and that's true. But if you've got a team that's currently paying 150 or 200 million in salaries, and then their their season goes to hell, and now they want to clear and make give themselves future flexibility, they might trade a really good player 
on a longer term contract to the Suns this year and add to the Suns top end talent. I, I, I don't think anything in those comments is surprising. He looked at the roster and he said, this is an accumulation of, of quote unquote talent, but this isn't a team. And this is a guy that, that understands teams having been in the league as long as he was and, and only missing the playoffs once from, if I have that right. So like he understands that you have to build a roster and it's not always about uh, how much talent can you jam in there. It's how much can you put a roster that makes sense together, uh, guys that complement each other, that fit together, that that become a, a unit. Like that 48-win team was the last time we saw the structure of of it being a team uh, a, 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 a and that was total luck that. on mcdonough's part he was trying to put together a 15 win team or yeah. bad luck on his part i mean depending on how you look at it right yeah yeah but i think that 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 goes to uh, whether it was done intentionally or not it goes to it's not always about how the talent individually looks on a roster it's do they come together? Is is there a cohesiveness? Do each of these guys' talents complement each other? And the and the reality was Josh Jackson's talents complement nobody, uh, and and that T.J. Warren basically what those what what James Jones was saying was T.J. Warren would have been a malcontent on this roster with what we were trying to accomplish. I, I disagree. Well, you don't think that's what he's saying? He's saying no, no, I don't, I don't. Okay. I, I I think that I think that what he was saying and to if you were to compare this to like the Philadelphia 76ers last season where they had Tobias Harris and that they also had uh Jimmy Butler is that players like that when you're talking about scoring players, there's diminishing returns on scoring players when you already have enough scoring. So the Suns clearly had enough scoring. So what TJ Warren offered, given the amount of money that they were paying him, the years they were gonna have to pay him for, was diminishing returns. And that's not really what they wanted to do with that specific roster spot. I think that's more what he was talking about rather than TJ Warren being a malcontent on the roster. Okay, well, let me say it. If TJ Warren had been here, his minutes would have been limited and he would have been a malcontent on the roster. I don't care if James Jones was saying it or not. Well, and this That's is TJ Warren who came to a mutual agreement with the team not to come back from an ankle injury. Yeah. And there was a reason for that. Let's think about it. Like, but to Tim's point, yes. When you're a one dimensional player uh, and you already have enough talent on the roster for that one dimension, yes, you will hit diminishing returns and he wouldn't have been worth what you were paying him. So from both sides, it makes sense. And would you have loved to have gotten quality back? Yeah. But the point that James Jones was making was in order to upgrade that point guard position, you had to find financial flexibility. And by dumping TJ Warren for, for basically nothing except our friend cash considerations, you got that flexibility to go add a Ricky Rubio. So yeah, if you guys remember the starting of of the off season, the Suns had only nine million dollars in cap space. They had their entire roster almost under under contract for next season. Very little room to move, and they needed a point guard, power forward, several power forwards, and and they needed to shuffle shuffle around uh, positional depth. And that's exactly what he accomplished. What did he do? Did he have a? Did he make a home run? No. The Suns are not going to rival the Clippers this year. 
But what he was trying to do is create the, the stair step uh, situation where the Suns are actually going to be more competitive and more able to maximize the talents of the core that they are building around now, which is Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And the top two supplementary pieces to those two are Kelly Oubre and Mikel Bridges. And that's exactly what he did over the summer. Those are the only guys really coming back. Tyler Johnson, all those guys are all just free to be moved on from in the very near future if they don't if they don't help the team in the right way, rather than being stuck with someone like a TJ Warren who's under contract for three more years and who wouldn't have been a big part of this team in the in the way that James Jones wants to make this this team. If you if let's so let's talk about Cam Johnson versus TJ Warren because people are saying, wow, you can still have TJ Warren in the small small forward mix. What James Jones wants is three-point shooting. What TJ Warren hates doing is shooting three-pointers. Yeah, he did pretty he did better last year. Absolutely. He was the Suns' best three-point shooter, but also by January he was bypassing three-pointers so he could make another drive into a contested two. So he is not an ideal player to create space and give DeAndre Ayton space to work. Now you have a competent point guard in Ricky Rubio. You have competent power forward uh, folks, I mean, we haven't even talked about Dario Sarge very much. I can't believe we haven't because that that's probably the best power forward we've actually had uh, since Markeith Morris for sure and possibly since Amari Stoudemire. Uh, I think, too, with TJ Warren, his style of three-point shooting wasn't what James Jones wanted to do. So James Jones and Monty Williams, I think, to an extent, what they wanted their three-point shooters is a guy that's going to be off the ball, is going to run through off-ball screens and pull right. up for a three really quickly, whereas TJ Warren is much more of a stand in one spot, and if the the, guy, the player with the ball has dragged the defense in to kick it out, and then he'll shoot. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, his were catch-and-shoots. If he had any defender in his space, he was going to drive rather than get the get a high release and get the ball off anyway. Absolutely right, Tim. And Cam Johnson fits that bill. Right. He does very well. Very well. well. I, and to the offseason move point, when you look at it, I, I think the way this probably works internally is James Jones said, here's what I need to accomplish. And Trevor Buckstein looks around, figures it out and goes, this is how we're going to be able to accomplish it. And likely the only way we're going to be able to accomplish it and make it work financially. And the, the reality is if you look at the TJ Warren move in a vacuum, the Josh Jackson move in a vacuum, you go, what the hell? But then when you look at it in terms of uh, the flexibility that you gained with that, the players that you add, you go, okay, I understand the larger, uh, the larger point of this and people freaking out about asset management. I, I get it. Is it ideal to give up second round draft picks to, to have to move on from guys or, or give up a future asset in the Milwaukee pick? No, it's not ideal, but the the chance that you're going to hit on those second round picks are slim to none, and you had to do something to get you in a position to improve. So that's what they did, and it's real easy to to acquire second round picks or get another what's likely mid to end first round pick by trading some of these guys that are, that are flexible assets. I mean. It would not shock me if Tyler Johnson gets flipped by, around the deadline for, you know, some of those assets that, that you gave up if you can't find a long-term piece. like or, or if Sarge isn't the guy that you want long-term, he's another guy that could get flipped or a Baines. Like, there's opportunity to replenish 
those assets with some of the guys you acquired as well. So at least there's flexibility here. Uh, and I think the, the blueprint here is trading some of those one, uh, one year guys potentially for a power forward. That's your long-term option. If Sarich doesn't prove to be that guy. Uh, and if that doesn't wind up uh, materializing, you get something for some of those assets at the trade deadline if you're far out of the picture uh, for the playoffs, which we expect, and you go into next offseason with, with flexibility to add people or add more one-year deals that then put you in a position to be a player in 2021. Well, in fact, even even Kelly Oubre, Kelly Oubre, by signing only for two years, he is now a very easily tradable piece for an uh, even better small forward out there if the Suns have an opportunity to get that. Uh, you can you can swap and give the other team financial flexibility for that summer of 2021 uh, that, that people are going to be shooting for. The Suns have to know right now they're not a big player on the free agent market for the very best players, and they're not even really a big player in the trade market for the very best players right now. Well, part um, of that, too, is that all, all, be better. all of the best small forwards, um, their contracts all expire at the same time. So. Uh, you know, to your point about being able to possibly include include Kelly Ray in a trade for a better small forward, like I can't really think off the top of my head of a small forward that's better than Kelly Oubre that isn't that's on a longer term deal than that as well. Um, as Evan Sidery pointed out too, and something that Greg was talking about a little bit earlier, the Suns have about thirty six million dollars in expiring contracts this season, which could be pretty beneficial. I also wonder if you look at next year's free agency market, we understand it, it's limited, right? But Buddy healed. Well, but the one, well, there's another big name that would fill your power forward void in Draymond Green as well. That I kind of wonder uh, do they want to test the waters there too? There, there's all sorts of interesting things that, that could happen. And you now have the flexibility to do those things where. TJ Warren and Josh Jackson obviously weren't desirable assets. Uh, I'm betting the cap relief that you get from Tyler Johnson being a one-year deal or, or, or the money that's going to come off the books after this year, all are, are, are positives for this team. So yeah, you took a negative in dealing some guys so you could reach a positive eventually. And sometimes that's just the way transactions work in life and in sports in particular. <laughs> it's everyone keeps talking about like the sun's trading for Aaron Gordon. Look, man, the magic just made the playoffs for like the first time, I think since Dwight, they ain't trading Aaron Gordon, you know, yeah, at least anytime soon. The like magic, they want him. What if the magic come out like a dud in the first three months by Christmas, they're under 500. I mean, they could, well, I don't know. It is a declining contract, which, you know, in theory helps with trades, also helps the team with the future flexibility, putting better players around them. I just, you know, when you're trying to target essentially a team's best player, like un unless you're a really bad team, like uh, we're probably going to see with the Wizards and Bradley Beal, I don't think a lot of those teams, like if someone was to try and and get Devin Booker from the Suns, <laughs> just be like, nah, fuck you. Like th there's virtually no player that could be offered that the Suns would be willing to give, well, give up Devin we Booker for. No, true, but but what we what we always forget is that players become available. I mean, seventeen of the twenty four All Stars from the twenty seventeen All Star game are on new teams. Yes, yes, they are. A lot of them moved in free agency, but I think with the Magic in particular, when you're talking about a team uh, that that 
had such a long playoff drought that they obviously wanted to bring that team back together to get back in. They just gave a, a, a Vooch a, a ton of money. What it was like four years, 80 million, four years, a hundred million. They're clearly going all in on that team. The, the likelihood of getting Gordon, I think is just not worthy of as much discussion as happens on the internet or probably the amount of time we just spent on the podcast. But the point <laughs> is now, if a guy like that becomes available, you actually have, expiring contracts and some of your own draft assets that may make it intriguing to be part of the conversation where, uh, you know, six weeks ago, you weren't going to be part of that conversation by offering uh, a poo-poo platter of, of TJ Warren, Josh Jackson and, and assets. You know, so. Great point. Great point. Uh, with him, I think he's making what about like 15. I Aaron Gordon. Yeah. He's in the high teens. Yeah. High teens. All right. So, I mean, I don't know. They'd have to offer, you know, an expiring plus a first or something along those lines, because I don't think the magic can take in. Like, I think the magic are capped out. Right. So, I mean, that's, but he's just one example and you're right, right. Tim, he may not become available, but there are other teams with other players who will become available and they'll want some relief in their, in their future cap uh, structures. And, and the Suns can provide that. That's Wiggins, that's Wiggins. They could go get Wiggins. Oh my God. Uh, Wiggins is not the kind of player James Jones wants. Thank God. Look at the players James Jones acquired this year. And Andrew Wiggins does not fit that profile. <laughs> to be fair, Wiggins isn't the type of player that like, you know, uh, 2019 want on their roster. So <laughs> Ryan McDonough might've actually acquired him though. <laughs> Cause he has great potential. So coming up uh, over, we haven't figured out the exact date, but we're really excited about it. This is an idea that Greg had that had to do with putting Ryan McDonough on trial. Greg, do you want to preview the episode that we're going to do over the next month or so? Yes, we're going to have a courtroom style battle where I'm going to play the defense attorney for Ryan McDonough. Surprise, surprise. Uh -huh. Tim, uh, Tim will play the judge because uh, Tim's used to just sitting there and listening to Dave and I babble. Uh, and Dave <laughs> and I will uh, will actually present our case as Dave will be the prosecutor. And we'll try to figure out who really killed the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> so uh, on that note, we'll go ahead. We'll end the episode. If you're still watching on the YouTube, do us a favor. Hit that thumbs up button. It really does help with the algorithms. Uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's a support the show button on the YouTube as well as uh, the podcast version. If you want to get a shirt, sunshirts.com. Um, and then, guys, are we actually doing a Wednesday episode? Yes, we're going to do my all-man crush team. Yeah, yeah. All-man crush. All-bromance crush be there for me. and i'm thinking that i may get a special somebody to read my starting lineup uh for me actually i got two ideas of people who could do it now uh my all man crush team so I, that'll be fun because so this will be all-time sons team that you've had the biggest man crushes on by position individual guys that i just irrationally love from from the sons uh it was suggested by a listener uh Carl. is socks Perry your point guard uh, no, I was not a big Sox guy as much as everybody else. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, you will enjoy this team, and uh, it's the summer, so at least we're not doing the Mount Rushmore of Suns, right? <laughs> well, we will do that probably at some point. Uh, no, we won't. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to uh, do the old man crush team. Uh, great suggestion out there on Suns Twitter. Uh, we're going to have a little fun with it on Wednesday. All right. Well, we will see everybody back seven o'clock on the YouTube or the podcast will get uploaded later this Wednesday, 7 p.m. Arizona time. Thanks so much for joining in.